0: Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. Today, I'm reading from Fragments of Heraclitus. He was an ancient Greek philosopher who lived around 500 BC. He went under names such as the Riddler, the Dark Philosopher, and the Obscure. And having earned such intriguing titles, he earned my respect as one of my favorite philosophers of all time. His thoughts are a little unusual, and he rattles off a lot of thoughts in fragments. The readings are fragmented, and I'm going to read off some of his points of view and make sense of them the best I can. He thought that in order to approach understanding, it was lamented from Heraclitus that direct pointing was not an adequate picture towards revealing truth. He thought that we had lots of unreliable and unpredictable conjectures, so that in the process of trying to pin down the truth, we were actually letting the truth escape. He stressed the identity and unity of opposites. That everything has effects and definition out of its opposite. That in some sense, war or opposition is common to the universe. He says that the Logos was a universal and unchanging principle of the cosmos. He referred to the Logos as being like fire. Because fire is forever elusive, but always there, always itself, always fire. And of course, what would fire be without air? and of course the old hermeticists would approach this as fire and air being the sign of sagittarius the philosopher so in terms of the logos that which can be universally sought after through the mind and through language i guess is the infinity and from either part or side of an observable account stands as something that remains unchanged yet has innumerable abilities to be changed in one sense it is fixed and locked in in another sense it is ready to be changed It is always elusive, and yet it is always there. He explains the bow and the lyre as something that is a phenomena with their relation of forces. Something about the tension of the bow gives the enduring definition of the lyre. He mentions that there is change that appears enduring, but there is also radical flux where nothing endures. What is opposed brings together. The finest harmony is composed of things at variance. Everything comes to be in accordance with strife. Everything in accordance with discord, lots of paradox. So yeah, between opposing forces, there is a medium that creates an enduring effect, and there is all sorts of different kinds of forces, and that when you run in between them, you create this enduring effect. But there is tons and tons of ways in which that can change, where forces can change from one state to another. He was a man that believed that the masses did not comprehend the divine. He was a little bit smug, kind of like Nietzsche and The Herd. He was such an exceptionalist. He said, one man to me is worth as much as 10000 provided he be the best. And Heraclitus also removed himself from the city because he didn't agree with the local politics. He was so outraged that he just removed himself from the discourse in the city, arrogantly saying, I'm above this. But I don't know if I could really say that I blame him. His comprehension of a soul goes kind of like this. The soul, a spark of the substance of the stars, is immortal and returns upon death to the all soul to which it is related. So it is as if the soul is immortal, and yet it is made of star things. That we are the substance of the universe, and it exists eternally in some sense, and that we are eternally a part of the universe, and it will return. I like that. He says all things are one. He mentions that fire will come upon and lay hold of all things. Fire again. Star stuff. a soul. Unchanging, yet changeable. He says that expecting to find gold, you're not going to find it, but to expect that you cannot expect when to find it is when it'll reveal itself, when you stop looking. And he says nature likes to hide, which is kind of an interesting idea. He says the thunderbolt steers course to all things. Just as there's a polarity in electricity, maybe he's onto something. That with fire and tension, you have all things. One very weird thing he said was that a man who did not know day or night, they are one. Well, we all know day or night. Maybe he's referring to not directly pointing to what you're seeing and that there is no continuous here's a day, here's a night, here's a day, here's a night but there is always day and there is always night and it is not just day, it is not just night it is always both always and maybe that's just what it means and that the pointing at things isn't what it is to describe it maybe he's just kind of being a smartass, I don't know he says that if all things turned to smoke, nostrils would distinguish them so that when an forever changing force like fire meets a fixed one like earth or substance, that when the enduring form is changed there is some other sense that endures. Maybe not so good to just breathe in everything willy-nilly there Heraclitus. Well, one of his more famous accounts is that you cannot step twice into the same rivers, and that as time goes on it's momentous. And in some way that is absolutely true, that it is radically fluxing, that the river a moment ago is not the same river, something within it all has changed moment by moment. Our minds want to fixate on the river and keep it a solid concept, but I guess the erosion and everything on the bottom and the water moving through it and the shape of the water, all of it is just, it's always changing. And of course, within a certain amount of time, the whole concept of what that river is going to look like is going to be completely altered. He says, war is the father of all and the king of all. Like opposition and strife from these things all occurs. That we are in a perpetual state of agony and frustration. That sounds about right. He says, the sea is the purest and impurest water. The fish love it and the men can't drink it. That for some things it is the purest and that for other things it is not pure. It is in a state of flux. Same thing for right and wrong. For some, it may be right. For others, it may be wrong, depending on what kind of waters you're in. Never will it be constant. Neither when they are right nor wrong. Everything comes and goes through justice and strife. War is common ground. Up and down are the same. Beginning and end are common. I guess you have to begin again from another end. And that in the cosmos, there's no real direction anywhere. You're just always where you are. He says that you will not find the boundaries of the soul by traveling in any direction. That forward pointing finger, that fixation does not get you there. That's very interesting and maybe that's why we're always warring and arguing and talking about all these different things and why there's all this tension around it and why everything's always changing with our thoughts and our ideas about things. The moment you start traveling in one direction, you're getting pulled in the next. It is wariness to labor at the same things and to be always beginning afresh. Sort of like the myth of Sisyphus, where he's always pushing something up the mountain and it comes back down, you push it up again, you just keep doing it, and I guess you gotta fancy yourself happy. In some ways, you're always beginning again and again and again. It is always changing, but it is always the same. He says it is hard to fight with desire. Whatever it wishes to get, purchases with the cost of the soul. Seeing that I'll always want more, and the sensation of desire will be the same when I want the crown or when I want just a candy bar. Desires would always be changing, but it would always be the same, desiring. And would it ever be fulfilled? No? He sort of takes a stab at those that don't engage with the logos to the extent he does. He says they purify themselves, those that initiate into mysteries, by defiling themselves with blood, just as if one who had stepped in mud were to go wash their feet in mud these people performing rituals and engaging in these sort of tasks these religious mystic kind of rituals are just marring themselves with cutting and blood and all these other things like they're taking their already sullied lives and trying to purify them by further sullying themselves he probably wasn't much into the arts or into the religious or mystic points of view of the time just worshiped the logos yeah, he's probably right about the improvement of the soul it doesn't have to do with you cutting yourself open or anything like that. I wonder if Heraclitus thought that blood was like fire water or something. I don't know. Heraclitus was one of Friedrich Nietzsche's favorite philosophers. Nietzsche being the one to describe time as a flat circle. And that if you eternally returned, would you mash your teeth and curse the demon that said thus? I think the uh, riddles and the aphoristic style really uh, appealed to him. For those who don't know, Nietzsche was a German philosopher from the 19th century. And I think Nietzsche is absolutely incredible. So as a precursor, to be inspired by Heraclitus is to say something about Heraclitus in his philosophical style. You'll never hear the same podcast twice. Thank you for joining me this time. I'll see you next time.